Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello, this is Emily Swallow, the armorer from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to the Canned Air Podcast. This is the way. and welcome to another episode of Can Dare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Filling in for Jack today is patron and good friend of the show, Joshua Bellis. Josh, thanks for being here, man. Yep, thanks for having me. And our guest today, you may have heard in one of his many, many, many podcasts, uh, Word with Tom Merritt, know a little more. It's a thing with Molly Wood and Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser, Cord Killers, Let's Talk About Star Wars, Daily Tech News Show, and this isn't even all of them, man. Where do you find the time to sleep? I don't know. And on top of that, has written a ton of books. We welcome award-winning journalist, writer, and podcaster Tom Merritt to the show. Tom, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm sorry we're out of time now after you read all this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and I even cut it down. I'm not shitting you. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a good show for you guys uh, lined up today. First, in our retro roundtable, we're going to be talking about fictional space disasters, whatever you know that conjures up for any of us. I've got a few good picks. Uh, these guys seem pretty confident in their picks. And based on what Jess was saying, you were pretty excited about the idea too, Tom. So, Oh, yeah. I love a good disaster movie. So, Who the hell doesn't? I'm excited to see what everyone has. And then after that, we're going to turn our attention over to Tom and find out to what his day-to-day is like with all these podcasts. My God. But uh, before we do anything, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you uh, like the show, want to show some support, uh, a few ways you can do it at CandairPodcast.com. We have a merch uh, tab there where you can get T-shirts, mugs, hats, all that stuff with uh, images, logos, Candare uh, designs made by Joshua Bellis, who's here with us. And again, Josh, thank you so much for doing that. I can that. vouch for the quality. They're great. <laughs> the quality is through them. the roof. <laughs> and if uh, T-shirts aren't your game, you want extra content, head over to our Patreon page. Five to $10 a month gets you hours upon hours of extra content. Uh, Randy, what am I forgetting? Uh, if you can't support us uh, by buying t-shirts or subscribing to our Patreon, you know, however you're listening to this, give us a like review. It helps so much. And a big shout out to evergreenpodcast.com, uh, this network we're a part of, and so happy to be there. A lot of great shows, and check them out. There it is. And with everything said, let's kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. Do it. Do it! Come on! I'm here! Come on! Do it now! Oh my god! Let's kill Teddy! Grass! Taste bad! All right. Fictional space disasters. Randy, why don't you kick us off? All right. I'm going to try and not go for the low hanging fruit, but. Um, 
one kind of space disaster series that I really got into because my kids got into it too was the uh, new Netflix uh, Lost in Space. I started to watch that, but never finished. Was it any good? Uh, it was really good. My uh, it, it held my son's attention, which speaks a lot. Um, he's usually not into sci-fi nearly as much as I am, so mm-hmm. the fact that he would sit down and watch it with us, uh, Julie and I, um, yeah, spoke volumes. But yeah, it's good. I like the actors in it. It's redone, and you know, the, you miss the campiness of the original, but it's still fun. Sure. What about uh, Tom, Josh? Have you guys seen it? Yeah, I actually watched uh, watched it. It was one of those Netflix shows that I would forget to watch for a while. And then when I got time, like, you know, at a holiday break or something, I'd start watching it and then just finish whatever season was out uh, right then. Like, it, it always was fun once I got into it. I, I, I enjoyed it. Is it still going? No, they it finished over? it up, right, with the last season? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Wow, someone finished a show? Usually they just want to keep these things running forever. I love I hearing that. They didn't cancel it before it was finished. <laughs> and, fin- yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It got an actual finale. That. that is rare. It hadn't really seen the original, so I don't know how close it stayed to the source material, but, yeah, it was fun. I haven't I, seen either, but I think it's cool to hear that uh they're they've taken an old show and they brought it to a new generation and it seems like it's going really well if even your kids are interested in it that's awesome to hear they had lots of nice nods to the original but the original was so long ago black and white and and campy and and stuff that i I think they'd have made a good choice to just kind of start over with the same premise got it right i feel like the same could be said for uh flash gordon Uh, Mm. (laughs) because i saw that movie like i love this movie and i found out there was a tv show there's a TV show. I got to watch this. Went back to go watch it. It was in black and white. Mm-hmm. It was really slow. The dialogue was oh. a little confusing. I was like, this is not the same action-packed Flash. adventure I was expecting. Uh, well, didn't they wouldn't, yeah. uh, didn't it originally come from like movie serials and comics? Yeah, I think, like I think that? that's right. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. even TV. It was like playing before your movie. Yeah, exactly. Cool. But all right, Tom, what's what's your pick, sir? Oh, man, I had a hard time narrowing it down because I'm a big fan of the disaster movie genre in in general. There's a lot of movies that I that I want to mention, but is it a spoiler to reference a disaster that happens in a later season of a TV series? No, no, no. How long okay. has it been out? How long has it been out? Oh, it's been out for a couple of years now. Oh, oh yeah. you're good. is, is the show chance. Expanse? Is it yes, Expanse? you've oh. read my mind. I, I just started watching that. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna you can totally say it because I've got some predictions anyway. I, I feel like maybe I got to figure it out. Are you but, still in season one? Yeah. I'm, okay. Well, so say, I think I got to figure it out. So I probably there's a nothing. there's a sort of an underground terrorist organization in mm-hmm. in that series, uh, and they attack Earth, and I they they just beat the crap out of Earth. Like they they in the coolest way, they send rocks at it. They just like push rocks so that the momentum carries them in. And then once they actually impact earth, it just devastates places. Damn. What's this called again? The expanse. Hmm. Oh, I'm going to have to check From what I've seen out. so far of uh, some individuals on earth, earth maybe had it coming. I don't know. <laughs> There's a couple of <laughs> snotty people on earth. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they got hit with rocks. I've been Is that on the show so far. It's on Amazon Prime Video, yeah. Okay. Amazon Prime. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, very good. Uh, How about Josh? Uh, I'm going to go with, I mean, there's several different space disasters in a lot of movies. Some of them take place more in space, more like outer atmosphere. 
Okay. Uh, but the thing that jumped to my mind was uh, just Event Horizon, that movie. Every good disaster in space starts with a distress beacon. Mm. just can't be trusted. But you know what? We're humans. We're going to trust it anyway. And it never goes well. And Event Horizon being the ship that went, well, I guess, it's, kind of, it's not really a spoiler. This is not forever, right? So yeah, yeah. they go into the other, they, they, what, they travel through time or they go through a wormhole and it comes back haunted, just evil. Oh, man. That sounds yeah. awesome. So kind of like Stargate. Oh, it is awesome. Sure, a little bit like Stargate with, uh, with some like Stargate meets Einstein. <laughs> oh yeah, or some H.R. Uh, Geiger type yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah, I love the, it's. I love that movie. Who who starred in that? Was Sam Neill in that? Or no? Uh, well, Lawrence Fishburne was in it, right? Yeah, he was the the sole survivor on the return, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. That came out in like the '90s, right? Early 2000s, I think. Okay, I just I'll remember just the most, the last time we watched it, it had a song from Prodigy at the end of seven, and it blew me away. It's like what? It was just like it was such a dramatic ending, and then right at the last, after the credits start rolling, it's just like this insanely uh, hype uh, techno song. Like, oh, okay, this is how we're finishing this. <laughs> Good energy. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I've heard a lot of yes. people talk about that, but I, I, I want to think about the movie I'm, that's coming to my mind with Sam Neill. I thought that was it. The, uh, yeah, he's in event. He's in it. Sam Neill's in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about then. Okay. Um, my pick is going to be, have you guys seen Gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That movie was, I mean, talk about suspense, like next level suspense, at least for me. I mean, what was it? They were just working for NASA and they just went up into uh, one of the satellites or something, a space station to do uh, routine repairs and something hits it and throws them off trajectory or whatever. But anyway, spoiler, at the end of it, when uh, right when George Clooney gets knocked off and it's like he's about to drift into space and she... You know, she's floating out, her foot's tangled in that cord, and she grabs his cord. And he immediately is just like, uh, well, first, let me just say, I was at the edge of my seat. Like, no, no, like, because what a death, what a horrible death just to be adrift at space, just waiting for your oxygen to go out, you know, and suffocate. What, what, what would happen? You would just freeze immediately, right? Or how does that work? That's a good question, whether you'd freeze or, or just pass out first. Yeah. Because your, your suit... I, I don't know how that works, whether your suit needs like heat or whether it's insulated enough that you'd stay warm while you died. Carbon dioxide <laughs> would probably yeah. build up first, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's right. Yeah. So, but, yeah, mercifully, you would pass out first and not have to experience <laughs> the horrors God. of what, what are to come. Hey, that's a positive. Yeah. I'd probably go into cardiac arrest before any of that <laughs> even happened, you know? But when she uh, is holding his cable, he like almost immediately is like, let me go. If you don't let me go, we're both dead. And just based on what I was seeing, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe the the feet can't be moved up and down in those uh, space suits. But it looked like if she just would have hooked her foot a little bit more and, you know, gave a little bit of a tug, they would have been OK. But I maybe I'm wrong. Do You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And And I remember wondering about that. When when I watched it, but I okay. I know the dynamics in zero G are much they're very counterintuitive. So yeah. if there's any spin on the spacecraft, the 
momentum may have like pulled them apart. Maybe it was like mm -hmm. more intense than you would expect. Right. Maybe that's Perhaps. what it was because as soon as he unhooked himself, he just starts going away. And I thought, well, how's that when she stopped his momentum? But I never thought about that. I think that ship was spinning because it had been hit by all that debris. I don't know, but damn, that one stuck with me for a long time. What a horrible death that would be. <laughs> anyway. Great, great movie when the, when the villain is a physical force. Yeah, because what can yeah. you do? Nothing. Yeah. And You're top villain, mercy. too. <laughs> right yeah. there in the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to Randy. What you got? So growing up, I was never a huge Star Trek fan initially. And then my dad was like, here, you got to come to this movie with me and see this. I was, I don't know, I was probably like early, well, probably like 12 or something like that. But first contact mm. with um, that scene especially the scene when they're trying to disable the satellite dish on top of when they're walking outside the enterprise and mm -hmm. uh, the Borg are like, you know, working on it. And then they're trying to disable it and jettison it out. And just that whole scene, just, I was on the edge of my seat in the theater. I, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. One of the crew members, one of the red shirts who played the bad guy in, uh, the rundown with the rock. <laughs> I, that's that's the not first a film I ran out to that's see. That's a great anyway, reference. He gets like, what's that? I said, that's a great reference, but I, <laughs> I still don't know it. <laughs> anyway, he, he gets turned like halfway through that. It was just, it was a cool scene for me as a kid. And I just, that always sticks in my mind anytime I watch that movie. It was like, oh, it's that scene. That was First Did Contact? You, you first said? Contact, yep. Did you watch Picard season three yet? I have not. I've been starting to, uh, we just had Jonathan Frakes on a few weeks ago and researching for that got me kind of into it, seeing uh, all the crew back together. Uh, it looked pretty cool. And they're they're against the Borg in that, aren't they? Yeah, there's just not to spoil anything, but there's a, there's a lot of references that'll be fun for someone who loved First Contact. I'll just leave it there. Okay. okay. I'll have to get off my ass and get that watched then. I've got to get through the first uh, two seasons of Picard before I watch the third one. But uh, can you watch the third one without? I think you can and then treat the first two seasons as sort of prequels because the third is, in my opinion, the strongest of the three. Okay. Totally random question on that. One of my biggest reasons I haven't started Picard is I haven't watched a lot of Next Gen. I've watched mm. the movies, but I haven't watched right. a lot of the series. Is that going to be kind of a... Yeah, you might want to watch some next gym before you, <laughs> okay. you do things. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Help. All right, fair enough. <laughs> might help. All right, uh, back to Tom. World War Z would be my next pick. Okay. Uh, are you f the zombie movie with... Um, Brad Pitt? Yeah, yeah, that's the guy, Brad Pitt. He's he's done a couple of things. Uh, yeah, I was blanking on his name. I was, <laughs> <laughs> was he playing with The Rock in anything? Uh, yes has brad pitt been with the rock you know? i can't uh, imagine uh, no. well the rock has been in so many things the chances yeah. are gotta be high there's yeah. gotta only be one degree if he's if they haven't anyway world war z based on a book and the book is really interesting in that it's essays from different points of view of a zombie apocalypse uh and in the movie they actually tell a more linear version of of those events uh, but it is very much, you know, from the perspective of what happens with society versus like the the usual zombie take of like, here's a small group and how they deal with it. Hmm. That was a really good movie. And, you know, the first the zombies in that film kind of behaved the way they were supposed to, like uh, like Dawn of the Dead, like where they're sprinting mm -hmm. and, you know, I hate slow walking zombies. It just doesn't make sense to me. But. Um, the way they would pile on each other to get over walls and stuff. That was a good movie. Yeah. 
that's a great reference to that book because there are so many little vignettes of different aspects of society. And the a great factoid about that book, the audiobook version of that, I forget who put it out. They got Mark Hamill to do some oh, really? lines for one of the chapters. And like when I was listening to it, I didn't realize that he was in it. I didn't even look at the cast. I'm just like, all right, let's listen to this. And I start hearing the voice. I'm like, that sounds really, really familiar. <laughs> and it's Mark Hamill. He, I don't think he was doing the space story. Um, but yeah, just like and hearing about the astronauts, like they get word from command uh-huh. like, things are not going well. They look at Earth like, looks fine to me. <laughs> yeah. you know, they can't see that anything's going wrong, but then like the lights start going out when it's like in at cities. night. In yeah. cities, did, did, was like that part in the film? Stuff. I don't remember that. No. Oh, yeah, they, they kept it all on the ground in the movie. I think they should have that done makes that. Sense. You got you got to condense things for a movie. You know, made for an entertaining story, but uh, definitely not as yeah, never as never as in depth as the book. But hmm. right, yeah, great sure. reference. Very good pick, uh, mm-hmm. Josh. What you got? Uh, my next one. Uh, I mentioned Flash Gordon, and this is like the second thing that popped into my mind. Like they kind of go through space, and there's some things that happens in space. But my kind of joke answer is the the massacre of countless Hawkmen above <laughs> Mingo City <laughs> as they attack Mingo City yeah. in the honor of Flash. Never uh, forget. Well, we, oh, we don't <laughs> candlelight vigils once a year in, in remembrance. Yeah, I don't know. I just love that. Uh, I don't think it was in space. I think it was in the atmosphere. So mm-hmm. yeah, but space adjacent. But there was yeah. a rocket ship involved, and that's that's what made me think of it. Just, I just the, love that scene. It's so absurd. Oh, absurd isn't the word, but good. You know, fun, fun absurd. But the way they, <laughs> when that spaceship just goes through the wall and pierces Ming right into the in the chest, <laughs> it's just so fucking ridiculous. You can't help but bust yeah. up laughing. But and those the, um. Those hot guys flying in always reminded me yes. of the Wizard of Oz, uh, like the flying it's so monkeys. So slow, so slowly gliding in, just yeah. blaster fire flying right by them, and like one goes down, like, I'm like no, who could have seen this coming? <laughs> so slowly, it's oncoming fire. Ah, oh, shit. I, I consider that a disaster, a tragedy. It's that yeah, movie it must have flopped. Did it? Did it? Or did it not? I can't remember. I mean, I would have been too young to remember. I think but... it's one of those that got like a big cult following, like later. Sounds yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. it'd be cool to it'd be cool to see a sequel, especially now with him being as old as he is. <laughs> Maybe oh, christening the next Flash. Flash. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it grossed uh, th- over three point nine million dollars in the opening weekend, and it finished wow. top of the U.S. box office. So it did not flop. All right. Really all well. right. Yeah. Good job, Flash. And that, what oh. year was that again? I'm sorry. Mid 80s, right? Yes. Had to be. Yes. So this was the after original. Star Wars and like the sequels were a mm-hmm. big thing to do. I'm surprised if it was a hit, they wouldn't make a sequel. 1980. Yeah. Oh, early. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was what? Between the first and second Star Wars? Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Anyway, damn good pick. Damn good movie. Um, my last pick is going to be The Martian with Matt Damon. Talk about another. I mean, as much as I say, gravity kept me at the edge of my seat. That movie, <laughs> yeah, I was a wreck the whole time. Uh, you know, when when his tent exploded and he was losing his oxygen, I thought, oh, well, that's it. But you know, obviously, there's a lot more movie to go, so it's not it. But yeah, I just can't imagine. I I think of so many instances in that movie, especially when he's 
has to trek to that uh, pod or shuttle that was left years before they were there to, for, his, to, for him to make his escape. And he has to stop like every, what, hour or so and wait six hours for the machine to charge. I kept thinking, I just would have given up and died right there. Like, I, I, I don't have <laughs> and that. And there, and what? there, and there. Like, all these points where we all <laughs> yeah. would have just given up. Yeah, I don't think I would have had the strength to do all that. But maybe looking down the barrel of death, I, you know, I would. I don't know. Did you guys all see that? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah. And a great yeah. book, too. Uh, another one where the, where the book is awesome as well. Did they leave out details? Uh, obviously, they did that the, from the movie. Obviously, they did because you have to adapt for a movie, but it's pretty darn close to what you get in the book. How about the end? Like when he cuts the hole in his suit and uses the, the, his hand, you know, leaking oxygen to propel himself up yep. to the ship. That was in the book? I believe I, I, I want to say, yeah, that that's, that's consistent. Such a cool, cool problem-solving moment. Yeah. Yeah. I like how in this movie he gets to solve the problems, but then when Matt Damon is in Interstellar, he causes the problems. You get two sides of the Matt Damon space. <laughs> yeah, karma, exactly. In short, don't go to space with Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah, just don't. It never ends well. All right. Did anyone else have any other picks they wanted to get off their chest? I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention at least uh, mention Apollo thirteen. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that the is the lowering fruit. Yeah, that's what I was avoiding. <laughs> Love that film, though. I um, got that for Christmas when I was, like, right when it came out on VHS, and I watched it over and over and over. I loved that film. The yeah, way they yeah. made that that uh, regulator, that filter, that filter out of the, like, yeah. the socks and the instruction manual and duct tape, that was really cool. Gary Sinise is such a badass in that movie. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Especially when you realize that, you know, they took a few liberties, but this is basically what happened. Like, yeah. This, yeah. Is, this really happened. And uh, Ed Harris, I was always so glad when he when they say you can't go up in the ship. I'm like, dude, just wait, you'll see. <laughs> but uh, Bill Paxton was in that too, wasn't he? Yeah, he yes. was. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was. God rest his soul. Love that guy. Very good picks. And uh, we're going to jump to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Tom. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast. On Ohio vs. the World, we'll travel back in time with the authors, historians, and even witnesses to visit the most exciting, consequential, and too often overlooked topics that have shaped America's history. There seems to be an Ohio connection to so many important moments. When you said uh, Ohio versus the world, we did some damage. So join us and we'll take a deep dive to enlighten, educate, and entertain you as Ohio vs. the World makes history fun again. All right, we are back from commercial, and once again, joined by Tom Merritt. Tom, hope you're having a good time. Thanks so much for being here, man. Oh, yeah, I'm having a blast. This is great. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots to talk about, but I want to talk about where you start. The earliest I can find online is that uh, you started broadcasting at age 16, WGEL, mm. a country music radio station. 
Uh, what what first spurred your interest in broadcasting? I don't know really when I first got interested in broadcasting. Uh, kind of in my whole childhood, I, I loved sports broadcasts and TV variety shows and and, right. and listening to the radio. Uh, and, uh, and and so when a radio station moved to town when I was in high school, then moved to town. It wasn't like a circus or anything. They just opened it up. But, um, when they opened a radio station, it was a little 3000 watt station. Uh, I was like, man, my little town, my little town of 5,000 people has its own radio station. I would really love to work there. Uh, and this is a very 1986 story because my mom taught aerobics to the wife of the owner of the radio station. Oh, okay. And so, uh, th- she said, well, I can, she said, you should come down and, and put in an application. And so they, uh, they, they hired me to run the American country countdown show on the weekends, which was delivered on like seven LPs that oh, you would wow. play. Uh, it was like hosted by Bob Kingsley. Basically it was American top 40 for country. Uh, and, right. and that was how I started doing that. And I, I would just pop in and read the public service announcements and stuff. Hmm. That's a pretty cool gig for 16. That's oh awesome. yeah. That's what I was going to say. 16 years old. I, I've never heard of a 16 year old being on air, like being the DJ. Yeah, it was, uh, it was better than Pizza Hut. That's for sure. <laughs> hell, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, I started doing that weekend thing and then I did well enough on that, uh, that the owner had been doing six to 8 PM Monday through Friday, uh, and decided he didn't want to do that anymore. And that was late enough after school that I could do it. So I started doing that. Uh, and then eventually by the time I was out of high school, I was doing that plus Saturday nights, eight to midnight because the station was country music during the day but then heavy metal at oh, night. Oh, oh. <laughs> now we're wow. Talking. Now, now I got to know, did you have a script or did he just kind of let you do your own thing in that time slot? Uh, in the eight to midnight time slot, the, the program director uh, had uh, a section of records that I could choose from. Okay. Um, and if I was going to bring in any of my own stuff, I just had to clear it with him. But anything that was in that section, I, I could pick whatever I wanted. There was, there was no format. There was no rotation or anything. Did you have any go-to bands uh, for that show? Oh, man, that was the time of, like, Black Lace, Metallica, Queensryche. Um, That'd have been a fun yeah. show to listen oh, to. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a blast. And they had me do it because I was, you know, young and young and dumb and was like, ooh, Saturday night playing metal. This, this will be fun. And the rest of the people who worked there were like, yeah, I don't want to work Saturday night. I don't want to go out. <laughs> I think MTV calls that headbangers ball, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was called the Rock Zone. That was how they differentiated nice. it from the uh, from the country, and and we all had jackets and stuff. It was oh, it was a blast. Oh, awesome. That's official. Did you you have any recordings of those days? I actually do have a recording of the countryside uh, that I could pull up. Uh, yeah, and play here. <laughs> If you, if you want to hear it. Yes, I, I want to hear a 16-year-old DJ for sure. This is this is the first time I did the show without just breaking into the country countdown. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is only my first day, and listen to that applause. All right. Tom Merritt here with you on WGEL, the best country in the country. All right. Right now, I see we've got Marie Osmond and Alabama do up. This hour, but first, we have these. 
That is awesome, man. It's, it's so cool you have that. Dude, you sound better at 16 than some current re- uh, DJs. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thanks. I, I, I don't agree, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Best country in the country. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm writing that down. It was a, it was a good one. I, they're still there. They, they stopped doing the metal at night, uh, but they, they still do the country. Huh. <laughs> I'd love to see the uh, board meeting. They're like, you know, I don't think our country fans really appreciate the metal in the evenings, but maybe we should change that. <laughs> I could actually, the reason they got rid of the metal was the program director who did that left. The owner didn't want to deal with it. And he saved money by recording from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on a VHS cassette, which was the highest fidelity recording he could do. Right. And then he would just come in and press play at 8 p.m. and replay that from 8 until midnight. <laughs> so he didn't have to pay anybody. Wow. That's, That's like the 80s equivalent of this AI are going to take our jobs. Yeah, right. It was automation before automation. Yeah. So every Saturday night was the same songs in the same order, all that, or were there different tapes? Or was well, it just every like one day tape? was the same thing that had happened earlier that day. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, gotcha. So they, yeah, yeah. Another thing I saw online is that uh, in 1993 you were interning at uh, NPR. What were you doing at NPR? Yeah, so I was I was getting my journalism degree at the University of Illinois, and they had an internship. Uh, called the Washington Center for Politics and Journalism. And what they would do is uh, it was a former uh, press manager for a lot of different politicians, including Senator Paul Simon in Illinois, hence the Illinois connection. And he would bring you in and do seminars so you could meet people in politics and place you in a different organization. So there was like a dozen of us in the internship, but everybody, everybody got put in a different location. So some people were working at like ABC's morning show. Some people worked at the Washington post and I got put on NPR's morning edition. So I would come in and just kind of do whatever they wanted me to do. Uh, sometimes I did some editing, although that got me in trouble with some union rules. So they, they kind of tailed off that, but I would, I would collect uh, sound for the other editors later on, did a lot of research in their library. I put together obit files for people so that they could quickly grab all the pertinent information. If somebody died, uh, it was just, just kind of random. The coolest thing I did at, at morning edition was Bill Clinton, was giving his first uh, address as president because it was his first hundred days in office. And so they sent me to the White House in a cab to get the script of his address uh, and bring it back to NPR so that they could, you know, read it before he gave the address and be prepped on what was going to happen. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Today would just be an email, right? Or even (laughs) even just a download, but they... uh, they had to send the intern in a cab. Wow, that's a that's a story now. Damn good learning experience. Probably prepped you for everything you're doing nowadays. Well, yeah, I got to meet a bunch of people who were super pros uh, at doing radio. Uh, got a, got to have some uh, meet and greets with other journalists that were set up through that internship, uh, and got to hear you know people like Gwen Eiffel uh, talk. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I learned a lot there. Sure. Uh, I had seen online that, uh, you know, you joined CNET in 2004 when you went on to do shows like Buzz Out Loud and CNET Live, amongst others. But I also had heard you say that, uh, you know, you wanted to move into podcasting, 
uh, so you could do exactly what you wanted to do instead of uh, you know what you were being told to do. Was there a particular uh, project or something that you were wanting to do at that time that you weren't being allowed to do, or was it just I, like I just want my own show? Yeah, it, w- it wasn't so much that it wasn't allowed. It's that it was a bureaucratic. It was a bunch of bureaucratic hoops that you had to jump through. So Buzz Out Loud was amazing. I, I love doing that. It was the first podcast I ever did. Uh, it, it lasted even a few years after I left CNET. Uh, and, and still we have people who were fans of it, you know, come up and, and tell us they, they listened to it. It was, it was a special show. I wanted to make that my whole job. They were somewhat dismissive at, at the company of that idea. So that kind of put my teeth on edge a little bit. And then I was doing a couple of independent podcasts, one of them called Sword and Laser about science fiction and fantasy books. And we were to the point where like, we know, we've got a big enough audience on these shows. We should take advertising. And there were starting to be these advertising related startups now that there's, there's tons of them like Anchor and Acast and, and all these, but, but they were the first ones of those showing up where you could just sign up and get into an ad pool. And to do that, I had to go through because CNET was owned by CBS at this point. I had to go through CBS's lawyers, get them to review an application have a in-person meeting where we would sit down and they would say, yes, you could wow. do that because they wanted to make sure I wasn't doing what CNET would do. Right. That, sure, uh, that it wasn't replicating what I was doing in my job. I understood why, but it was just so slow and, and, uh, unflexible, uh, cause I had all these different ideas, uh, and I wanted to try different shows. And so, yeah, I was, I was finally frustrated that they weren't selling ads on buzz out loud, which had like a couple of million people a month listening to it. I was like, you're not, you're not monetizing this and you're making it hard for me to even do something outside. And so I, I just got a, a little bit frustrated and wanted to, to try being outside of that system. You did exactly that. I mean, I listed a ton of shows that uh, you're a part of, and I know there's probably even more. How many shows are you currently doing? Uh, a dozen, maybe. Wow. Not all of them are every day. <laughs> I know, but still, <laughs> only, I mean, you know, I only do one that's every day. Yeah. So, how many hours a week do you put in? Uh, I I don't know. I don't really keep track of it. Probably, I would guess fifty or sixty. Okay. Probably Just not a little much more than more the average than work week, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Some of it's pretty efficient too, because uh, know a little more you mentioned is a deep dive into technology topics. That's stuff I'm already doing for Daily Tech News Show. So it oh. you know, it kind of helps feed each other. Um, right. A word with Tom Merritt is one where I sit down and interview somebody. Some a lot of times we'll take excerpts of that, use it on Daily Tech News Show. So it some of it does feed off each other uh, pretty efficiently. All right. Very good. I, I listened to a little bit of your most recent one, uh, Humanity. On, oh, yeah, uh, with uh, Ruby Othello. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the concept of that. That's a really unique idea. It's like the theme is going to be a word. And mm-hmm. you get a, get someone on that knows. I mean, even the topic, um, or I guess the, his background wasn't even about humanitarian studies, but it was about a topic that has humanity woven into it. It was a very interesting listen to see. Yeah, we talked a lot about AI and automation and and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Hot topic Uh, these days, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
if if I am Tom Merritt and not an automated, <laughs> as far as we know, yeah, just a program that Jess put together to talk to us. <laughs> just a deep fake. The Wikipedia article is tapes, and now the Tom Merritt AI. Wow, it even synthesized that early recording of his first episode. That's amazing. So one of your other shows that we were looking into cord cutters, which is just all about you know cutting the cord, obviously cord killers. I believe cord killers. I'm. Or no, cord cutters. Cut? Right? Yeah, it's cord, cord cord killers, but it's about cord cutting. So we answer to both. Just okay, my okay, brother's Tim. I answer to Tom. Both. Yeah, it's all. <laughs> okay. I'm my used bad. to this. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. But anyway, I did have a question along those lines. With so many of the new kind of streaming services popping up, I mean, you've got the original players. You got Netflix, HBO, all those. But you're getting like Paramount, and you're getting uh, Peacock, and kind of all these newer ones. Do you have any that kind of stand out to you? Do you have any that, you know, you, you think are going to be kind of up there with the upper echelon of OG streamers? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I try or, or not even try. The, the way I look at it is these are all channels mm-hmm. the way you had CBS, ABC, NBC, but they're super channels. So uh, most people know, but not everybody knows that uh, NBC also owns Bravo, also owns USA Network, you know. Um, And the way I think about it is these services are basically that. It's Mm -hmm. NBC plus all the other things that NBC owned in one package. So it's almost like we've taken the cable bundle, which gave you two choices. You can have cable or you can pay a little extra and get, you know, these dozen other channels. Uh, We've broken that up and said you can get a chunk from a provider. You can get the NBC chunk. You can get the uh, the ABC chunk, which is Hulu or Disney Plus and ESPN. uh, And you can get these new independent networks, Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, et cetera. Uh, And what I wonder is not which one will rise to the top so much as how many of those will the audience support? Is it going to be three or four like the big broadcasters used to be? Will it be more like five or six? Will it be like four main ones? And then you could have some niche ones that are devoted to, you know, subtopics like anime or or Korean dramas or something like that. (laughs) Um, I think my best guess is that we're probably going to end up somewhere between three to five big ones uh with a lot of these little brit box kind of kind of things surviving uh, on ne- on niche ends of that which ones those go- are going to be is really interesting cuz it does look like paramount plus or it looks like paramount the company is likely to get gobbled up by somebody in the next couple of years and then probably paramount plus either becomes an add-on or or gets subsumed into whatever or, platform or they own yeah yeah uh, and that probably is going to happen to Warner. So it'll be interesting to see if Max, uh, the HBO Max, which is going to become Max, gets subsumed into that. And then then it'll come down to like, you're going to have Disney, you're going to have NBC because it's owned by Comcast, and you're going to have Amazon and Netflix, and, and then Apple kind of out there with its own service. It's a little smaller. And will that be it? Will one of those buy the other, merge into each other? That's that That's kind of what the roadmap looks like to me. So I've also, I've got a, all my stuff is Roku devices. So Roku has their own channel too. And they've done like some oh, very yeah. interesting, like, uh, original programming. I think they did one about the Tetris story. I think if I remember correctly, um, Apple did the Tetris story. There was the weird owl one on your, on Roku. That's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm sorry. That's that's the one one. I need to watch still. 
But um, are there any like standout original movies or series that are on some of these newer ones that you could recommend? Man, uh, <laughs> going back to our earlier conversation about space disasters, uh, have you seen For All Mankind? Mm-mm. No. This is an Apple TV Plus series that starts in 1969. Is it 1969? But close enough. With the Soviet Union beating the United States to the moon. Oh, so shit. Okay. All the history up to that point is the same, but the Soviet Union wins the space race, but the U.S. still lands on the moon. What happened in, in our reality is the Soviet Union gives up and, do, and decides not to spend the money. In this reality, the space race continues. And so it accelerates the development of space travel to the point that in the late nineties, they're headed to Mars. Uh, and, and it's just really fun the way they parallel our reality. And they do a lot of stuff where they have Nixon, you know, talking about how the Soviet union won the space race, but we're going to stick in it. Reagan gets elected early, uh, because Watergate doesn't happen. Uh, and so, wow. uh, Reagan gets into office and then Clinton gets into office later still. And the, the, you know, so they, they do all this fun. If you're into alternate reality stuff, you're going to love it just for that probably. But then there's all of this space drama, you know, disasters that happen on the moon, the disasters that happen on the way to Mars. Uh, and it's a great cast and, and really, really good writing. I think that's awesome. Now, what was that on again? That's on Apple TV plus. Okay. It reminds me of, uh, not that I've even seen this series, but I know a little bit about it. I think it was called Man in the High Tower, where history oh, yeah, up yeah, to yeah. World War mm-hmm. II is the same, but, you know. Man in the High Castle is based on a Phil K. Dick book. Yeah, yeah. Man in the High Castle, excuse me. But have you seen yeah. that one? Is it good? Yeah, it's that's my favorite sci-fi book of all time. Uh, wow. that, that original book. I, I love that book. I discovered it in college, and I was really pleased with what they did, uh, not only capturing the spirit of it. They didn't actually follow the book terribly closely. Um, but they, they captured the spirit of it and then kept it going. They, they were able to extend the story past what happens in the book. And yeah, that, that sort of imaginary world where Germany and Japan have, have carved up the United States is, is just, it's mind bending. Yeah. I can't imagine that's on my to watch list. Eventually <laughs> it's oh, a yeah. scroll at this point. It's not a list, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. So good. Uh, you you said something just a little bit ago that uh, Jess had suggested maybe we talk to you about your you being very much into Korean dramas, Korean entertainment. <laughs> How did that happen, and what what are you uh, what are you into? What do you like? Yeah, so uh, when we moved into this house, we were we were pretty stressed out about you know mortgages and moving and all this stuff. And one of the things my wife started to do was just look for escape escapist content stuff that was was off the beaten path and she discovered this whole world of of chinese dramas and korean dramas uh and sort of got me into it because some of the plots were really fun uh and really interesting uh and and so netflix has picked up a lot of those uh and and they made them really easy to see there's also a japanese service called viki that you can watch a lot of stuff for free with some ads or pay to get rid of the ads and get an expanded catalog. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's been really interesting plots, really interesting, uh, shows that I would have never considered and never watched. Uh, and that was even before squid game came along and then squid game came along. We got kind of snobby. We're like, 
I don't know, is this, you know, really going to be that good? And of course, then we watched it. It's freaking amazing. But, uh, but yeah, it was sort of a, a perfect storm of all of that and Parasite coming along as the, you know, being a movie that sort of made us more interested, uh, in it. So I, I could go all day giving you recommendations of, of Korean dramas. I like, uh, let, let me know if you want me to stop, but I, I'm happy. I'm happy to give some tips of interesting ones to check out. Yeah. We just watched Parasite. I mean, I'd seen it. I think this is my third or fourth time watching it, but my brother-in-law was in town and he had not seen it. And we were like, okay, we just got to watch this. <laughs> and for what I know about Korean drama and maybe it's, uh, it kind of reminds me of the whole Bollywood effect compared mm. to Hollywood, just very intense, very dramatic. Everything is cranked to 11. And from the clips I've seen of some K-dramas, it's like a woman falling down the stairs and you get like 12 different shots of her falling down the stairs and she lands is, in her lover's arms. Yeah. It's like, ah. Oh. There is some of that. And there's a, a word, I think I'm getting the word right, called mokjong, where it's just over the top, uh, you know, soap opera kind of stuff. There was one... I think it was called the last empress that was like way over the top like that. And it was like, if Korea had kept an emperor instead of becoming a Republic and this guy was still emperor, he needed to, to marry someone. So he decided to marry a commoner and like pulled this woman from, uh, you know, obscurity. It was like super dramatic, but not all of them. Some of them are more along the lines of squid game where you're just doing the, the like really interesting, really weird plot. Love that. Are there any good anime uh, animation movies or TV shows coming out of Korea? You know, I I haven't watched a lot of anime stuff that isn't from Japan. Uh, it's it, Japan really dominates that market. Mm -hmm. What happens in Korea is they've got a really strong webtoon presence. Okay, so you read these these sort of uh, on, usually on an app now, not not necessarily in the web, but these little comics. Uh, so they're more like manga, right? Okay. And then they turn those into live action. They kind of skip the animation okay. and goes go straight to live action. There's one called Uncanny Counter, which is about a, a group of superheroes who secretly run a noodle shop. And then they have to, you know, shut down the noodle <laughs> shop to go fight demons uh, to keep the city safe. Wow. That sounds like a blast. Take yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one... The one South Korean animation that I've seen is the uh, Soul Station. It's like the counterpart to the Train to Busan movie. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Oh man, it's so cool. The animation. Yeah, I probably need to to try more animation because uh, it, it, South Korea has incredible animation houses mm -hmm. there. Uh, I just haven't tried as many. Yeah, right. I've yet to experience a South Korean uh, media that I haven't enjoyed. Like every, oh, the movies are amazing. Their directors are so talented, or maybe it's just the ones that are filtering through are the really good ones. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, I think the key with Korea now is that they have such a, a highly toned production environment and they've got experience now over the decades that uh, you're going to get a wide variety of stuff. You still get some of that like soap opera stuff, but they've, they've got other, other I don't know, like a whole spectrum of, of different stories. So if, if you're willing to read the subtitles or if you can find the dubs, Netflix has been doing dubs. Uh, they're, they're absolutely worth taking a look at. Yeah. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen any Korean uh, entertainment unless uh, I have and just don't realize, it. but I think I would realize it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Probably. Yeah. If you, if you notice that all the people in it were, were Korean, even if it was dubbed, you, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that so is one thing content. about the Korean dramas is they they tend to have a very you know domestic cast. You don't get a lot of of people from other countries in them. Gotcha. Why is Snowpiercer 
was directed. Uh, yeah, the movies are a lot, a lot more broad like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'll have to send me something, Josh. I want to. I want to. You said Parasite. Is that what you uh, said? You just watched. I, I got the movies. Tom's got the the K drama. Yeah, for we sure. got you covered. Gotcha. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I, oh, man, we are quickly running out of time. But uh, you write a lot of books. A lot of books. Uh, Vera, Gallium, Trigor, uh, Pavaria. Am I saying these correctly? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you're good. okay, <laughs> close enough. Okay, <laughs> uh, can you tell us just really quick a little bit about uh, your books because they seem to not all but mostly be in the sci-fi uh, uh, genre and what it was that inspired you to write? Yeah, I've I've always liked writing. I've always like coming up with stories. Uh, and in the the beginning of the two thousands, like two thousand one or so, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to National Novel Writing Month. Uh, she's like, you, you know, because I, I had written, I had tried written writing books before and I had written one book that took me like six years to finally get to a point I liked. And then I e-published it. And then the e-publisher went out of business cause it was the early days. Uh, so in 2001, she's like, you should do national novel writing month. It takes place every November. Everybody gets online and encourages each other to write 50,000 words in the month. So you, you track your progress and you just try to get 50,000 words down. It doesn't matter what the 50,000 words are, you can deal with that afterwards in, in editing and polishing, but just, it gets you to get over that hump of, right. of writing. Uh, so I tried it uh, several times and it, I never finished, but I kept trying it cause I liked the idea. And then in 2006 was the first time where I, I actually did it. I went from November one to November 30 and wrote all 50,000 words. And at, by that point, e-publishing had become print on demand so that you could just put a book out. So I took my book and I uploaded it to lulu.com uh, and I and I published it. And, you know, I, I sold a few. I, I got a few people uh, to, to read it. So I kept doing it. And I, I eventually got addicted to just doing National Novel Writing Month, writing a book, editing it, polishing it up, and putting it out. And then a few years later, Ink Shares came up which was a startup that was trying to take the idea of crowdfunding and applying it to publishing. So they said, if you can get this many pre-orders of your book based on your community, then we'll publish it like a traditional publisher with promotions and and stocking and all of that. So you don't have to promote it yourself. So pilot X and trigger were the two that I did through ink shares, uh, where I just got enough people to sign up that then I got them published. That was the first time I actually walked into a Barnes and Noble and saw one of my own books on the shelf. That had to be a cool feeling. Yeah. Super cool. I actually bought one. I just went up to the counter and I bought it and I used a credit card and the person ringing me up was like, is that you? <laughs> Cause I saw the name on the credit card and I was like kind of sheepish. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Uh, holding and they were like, the, about the author picture next to your face. I want, this yeah, book, they, they were like, well, you should sign the ones we have. So I'm like, okay. If the, if, if you, that doesn't devalue them. Sure. Yeah. I'll do that. Oh, you did, did them a favor. Their revenue just went right up. Yeah. No yeah. Kidding. Yeah. Added another $10 on the price tag to each of them. <laughs> Signed edition. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I want to thank you so much for being here. I want to encourage our listeners to go to TomMerritt.com. Uh, you can see all his books, all his podcasts, find out more about Tom. 
Because what we've touched on here is just the tip of the iceberg. This guy has so many irons in on the fire that it would take two, three hours to even touch on everything. So yeah, once again, TomMerritt.com on Instagram and Twitter at AcedTect. I'll put that in the uh, show notes. Uh, yeah. Is there anywhere you else? You search for Tom Merritt on those places. It's probably easier. <laughs> <laughs> Where else should I be uh, directing people, Tom? Yeah, TomMerritt.com is a good place. Um, and uh, yeah, if you search for Tom Merritt on all the platforms, uh, Ace Detect will show up. That's another story for another time. Uh, and uh, if you go to Substack, I've been doing a This Week in Tom Merritt. Uh, every Friday, I just write up what I've been doing that week and send it out to people. It's free. So you can go to freetomnewsletter.com. And we will put all that stuff in the link in the uh, show notes, man, help direct people over there. Tom, thank you so much for taking time to be here today, man. This has been awesome. Hey, thanks, man. It's been fun talking to y'all. Thanks for having me. All right. And once again, people, that was Tom Merritt. Again, head over to tommerritt.com. That's M-E-R-R-I-T-T and Instagram and Twitter at A-C-E-D-T-E-C-T. But yeah, like he was just saying, if you search his name, uh, it comes up. And I just want to thank him so much for being here. It was really cool to talk with him. And like Randy was just saying, we should we should definitely get him back in the future. Pick his brain some more because dude has so much going yes, on. He does. We didn't stand a chance here. We didn't have enough time <laughs> to uh, even scratch the surface. But until then, Randy, what do we have on the website, sir? Go to CandarePodcast.com. Check out our past episodes, the uh, special guests we've had on. There's all the links to our merch and all that happy horse shit. And uh, if you're interested in coming on the show, send us a message on our contact page. There it is. And yeah, once again, Twitter at uh, CandarePod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And like Randy just said, uh, CandarePodcast.com, ways you can support us over there and get a little something back for your support. Uh, Josh knows about that, right? I do. Tons of quality content. You got audio dramas, old episodes where you can hear about news from the year 2014. <laughs> things you didn't know you needed. You read that script perfectly. <laughs> it did better than me. <laughs> so, yeah, check that stuff out. Uh, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting something big. Also, from our Candair Fashionista, I mean, all the amazing shirts Josh has done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we sing his praises week after week. And now that he's here, I forgot. Uh, what's Are up? you a nerd and you don't uh, shower often enough and you don't do laundry enough? Uh, just go to candorpodcast.com slash merch. Find, just buy some new shirts. Just yeah. keep buying shirts. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep and you solve all your problems. Exactly. Like we need like a Sarah McLaughlin, like for just 20 bucks. You can get oh, dude. amazing. I actually, years before you joined the show, I made a commercial for our t-shirts <laughs> and that was a mimic of the Sarah McLaughlin commercial. I would take our t-shirt and I would put it like chained up to an old doghouse and put <laughs> sad eyes on it and like just can, like uh, pictures of our t-shirts in kennels and <laughs> I made a video that had Sarah McLaughlin's Eyes of the Angel playing over it and then it ended with her looking into the camera it said support Candare podcast. <laughs> that shit got pulled so fast. That sounds like it needs to go up on Patreon though. So you know what? Hey! Join up. We'll put it on the dollar tier. Yeah. There you go. Better get, yet, get your just foot get in the door. Randy and Jack in the shirts, put them in a doghouse, <laughs> and then have them look sad. Brother, I am constantly in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> no method acting required. You're exactly. I'll even bark for you. Uh, and on that note, <laughs> I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. I'm Josh Bellis. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and be excellent to each other.
from outside. Blowtorch! Whenever there's a fire in your house, be sure to get outside immediately. And once outside, get on CandarePodcast.com. Well, thanks for the tip, Blowtorch, but just one question. What about the fire? And no one is half the battle. G.I. Joe! This has been a Canned Air production. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.